Welcome to another podcast from the Burlington Congregation of the Church of God International. You can find out more about CGI Burlington on our website at cgiburlington.org. I hope you guys are just excited as, as I am, as we are. I know we're planning for the Feast of Tabernacle already, so sometimes the Day of Atonement just stands out kind of like an in a way blocking us, you know, with the fasting and afflictions before we have all the fun. But this, this day is one of the greatest day. This is not just my proclamation, but it's actually in your Bible. It's just, just defined that way. Now, I have to make a little confession before I go into my message. I've tried to do different things. I was thinking to bring you a different message today. And for some reason, it just didn't work. And I just get back yesterday evening, and I just redirect everything and put something new today. And at the end of it, I was actually very happy, very satisfied with it. So what I'm hoping through this message, I don't want to stir up any debates about, you know, goats and all stuff like that. I'll go through all of that. Although I'm looking after all this message, that we all will look at the scriptural evidence and be able to present to each other facts, not just our opinion and your opinion, and just go slowly through all of this, hopefully, at the end of my message. So please open your Bible to Leviticus chapter, chapter 23. We just finished observing the Feast of Trumpet on Monday, which is the days away, just a few days away, for one of the greatest holidays that's in the God calendar. And there is so little known about this day. We speculate about what this day will bring all about in the future, but we don't know through the details. We see some through the dark glass. We see a little bit the future fulfillment of this day, but we know that it's very important, and you know, it's coming. Leviticus chapter 23, at least all these verses that are related to the Day of Atonement. In verse 26, Leviticus chapter 23 and verse 26, and the Lord spoke to Moses saying, also, the tenth day of this month shall be a day of atonement. It shall be a holy convocation for you. You shall afflict your souls and offer an offering made by fire to the Lord. And you shall do no work on that day, for it is the day of atonement to make atonement for you before the Lord your God. For any person who is no afflicted in soul the same day shall be cut off from his people. And any person who does, who does any work on the same day that person I will just destroy from among his people. And you shall do no manner of work. It shall be a statute forever throughout your generations in all your dwellings. It shall be to you a Sabbath of solemn rest, of Sabbath of Sabbaths, the greatest day in God's calendar. And you shall afflict your soul on the ninth day of the month on evening. From evening to evening, you shall celebrate your Sabbath. So here in this short passage of scriptures, it's loaded with all these instructions for all of us, we finish this passage, it says, the fast lasts from the beginning of the day to the end of the day. Just in case someone is confused for how long we should afflict our souls. It's the whole 24-hour periods. Not short, no long, from the beginning to the end of this day. It's also got these very specifics that he says, no work shall be done whatsoever. When God says no work, it means no work. And all your personal activity that we so much enjoy, and especially sitting on our phones and our laptops and our tablets, and just wonder, no matter what, make sure that this day, this thing is turned off. This is a God's day. This is not, a, not a your day. This day is very symbolic. Honor what are the instructions in the Bible. Put your phones away. Try to put your phone away for 24 hours and see if you can live without it. Because I know that most of us, we can survive the 24 hours period without, without food and water. But the next challenge is, can we live the 24 hours period without touching our phone even once? So that's the challenge for all of you. Let's try not to look at the phone from Tuesday evening till the Wednesday evening. Not even look at this once. And see when we meet on Wednesday, we can discuss together who was able to achieve this part of not even looking or taking or whatever, just turn it off for the whole day, just for the Feast of Atonement. 
So when it means work, it means any work. Not just that you go something and you know you work and you, you, you make money or you take money out of it. It's just any work, even household work. God says, I want you to fast. So you don't have to be occupied trying to get some food for you. Cooking, cleaning, no matter what. Just pay attention to what I'm about to do on this great day on my holy calendar. And he says, any person who is not afflicted, in verse 29, on the same day, they shall be cut off from this, from his people. Now, if you go back to Leviticus chapter 16 here, this instruction is a little bit extended here, a little bit further. Leviticus chapter 16. And here in verse 29, 16 and verse 29, it says, This shall be a statute forever for you. In the seventh month, on the tenth day of the month, you shall afflict your souls and do not work at all, whether a native of your own country or a stranger who dwells among you. So this thing would even apply to the strangers who live among you. They should do the same thing. They should not do any work for you or for anybody else. And the day is coming. That God will humble every single human being that is alive on this planet. Everybody will be engaged in fasting and humbling themselves. So this is just the basic instructions here that we read from Leviticus chapter 23 and here from Leviticus chapter 16. We're going to spend a little bit of time in Leviticus 16. So please hold your place there if you're using the paper Bible. Mark, mark your positions there because we're going to go forward and back through the Bible. But we always come back. We'll always come back to Leviticus 16. So, this day, whatever activity happened on this day, is not like the Feast of Atonement. All the activity that happened, everything takes place in the gun sanctuary. People had the freedom. People had the choice. If you felt like you need to worship God, or you felt that you sin and need to offer sacrifices, you can go to ghost temples on any time of the year, or any day, any time of the year that you wanted. The sanctuary, or the temple, was open. You go through the day hours, and it's open. You can go there, and you can offer your gift. You can offer your sacrifice. On the Day of Atonement, if you're late, it's too late. Temple is shut down. The tabernacle was shut down. You can't come and offer anything. It was too late. This day was so huge, was so important. The only high priest was busy on that day, and the priesthood. All the other people was just fasting. And watching the things that were happening in front of their eyes. Who could? Had the front line standing positions in the temple. Not everybody could. Everybody was just waiting. What would be the outcome at the end of the day? Now, before we actually start a little study here in Leviticus 16, let's go back. Let's actually start from Leviticus chapter 10. Hold your place here in 16, but go to Leviticus chapter 10. Leviticus chapter 10. And read here Leviticus chapter 10, the first, the first seven verses. They Nedeb and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, each took his censer and put fire in it, put incense on it, and offered profane fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. So the censer was supposed to be filled with fire, with coals that would come from the altar. Of the, of the bronze altar that the, all the offerings was took place. I don't know where they get the fire from all other or whatever, from other sources, but this was such a disobedient. In verse 2, so the fire went out from Lord and devoured them, and they died before the Lord. And Moses said to Aaron, this is what the Lord spoke, saying, about those who come near me, I must be regarded as holy. And before all the people, I must be glorified. They did not glorify God. They did not regard God as a holy. They, they disobey direct God's command when it comes to the sanctuary. Then Moses called the other, other sons, and he called the, his, his, his uncle's sons here in verse 5. So they went near. And carried them by their tunics out of the camp, and Moses, and as Moses said, and Moses said to Aaron, 
Do not uncover your head, nor tear your clothes. Forget about the mourning for this guy to just die. There's no time for that. You have a different purpose. You have a different callings. You're not here to mourn anybody's death. You're here to work. Lest you die, and wrath came upon all the people. But let your brethren, the whole house of Israel, develop the burning which the Lord has kindled. You shall not go out from the door of the tabernacle of meeting, lest you die. For the anointing oil of the Lord is upon you. And they did according to the word of Moses. So what happened here? Just little disregard. I wouldn't say little. That's a, that was a huge disregard for God's command. And these two young men lost their lives. In a split second, God fire came down and devoured their lives. Now, comes to the day of atonement. Do you think the next generations or the next one will actually step up to this role as priests? Would they pay attention to God's commandments and to God's rituals? Absolutely. They were afraid to losing their own life. Now, let's go to... No, actually, before we go. What happened that these people disregard, disregard God's commands? What happened? We don't know. We don't have direct answer, but just the speculations here. Because I think God gave us the answer right here in verse 8 and 9. As we read it through 11. Just keep reading the same chapter. Then the Lord spoke to Aaron, saying, after all what happened, look what he's saying. Do not drink wine or intoxicating drink, you nor your sons with you, when you go into the tabernacle of meeting, lest you die. It shall be a statue forever throughout your generation. Why? That you may distinguish between holy and unholy, and between unclean and clean, and that you may teach the children of Israel all the statutes which the Lord has spoken to them by the hand of Moses. So let me speculate here a bit. Maybe these two guys, maybe they had a little bit too much wine. Maybe they had a little bit too much rejoicing. And all this inspiration from the alcohol took them a little bit too far. And instead of being truly obedient and observance to God's commands, they profane God in a big way. And God's end their life right there. There's a little message to all of us. And especially when it comes to God's holidays. Leviticus 16. That was just a little bit on side. Leviticus 16. Now, comes the day of atonement and again right here at the beginning chapter 16 we see it again here now the lord 16 verse 1 now the lord spoke to moses after the death of the two sons of aaron when they offered profane fire before the lord and died verse 2 and the lord said to moses tell aaron and your brother not to come at just any time into the holy place inside the veil before the mercy seat which is, on the, which is on the ark, lest he die, for I will appear in the cloud above the mercy seat. I think this time, they really, they truly got it, that God is serious, what he said. Because there's no more accident here, at least not in this chapter. So these people took commandments, God commandments, very seriously into their heart. Very seriously. One day. One day. In the whole cycle of days. One day. One person. Can appear before the Lord. Only once a year. And then one person. Was only. The, high, the highest priest. No one else. No, no one else could come and appear before the Lord. No one else. Only one person. Once a year. On the day of atonement. Verse 3. And there is a way. How the high priest should enter into it. Verse 3. Thus Aaron shall come into the holy place. With the blood of young bull. As a sin offering. And of a ram as a burnt offering. And he should put the holy linen tuning. 
and the linen treasures on his body. He shall be girded with a linen sash, and with the linen turban he shall be ad- she shall be attired. There are holy garments, therefore he shall wash his body in water and put them on. Normally, high priests would wear very colorful garments. On this day, it was only white linen garments. Before he put these garments, he had totally, he had totally, totally to immerse himself in the water, so he will wash all the impurity, physical impurity of his body, just like our Baptist. Total immersion, total bath before he put his linen uh, tunic and everything else, and then. He can't just walk in into the most holy place. He had to offer an animal for his own sin, just to cleanse himself before he actually enter into the holy of holiness, in the tabernacle or in the in the temple. Now we know that. So far, everything is so clear. We have no problem trying to understand what happened on this day. As we go to Hebrew, hold your place there. Hebrew chapter nine again. That brother Ray read to us earlier. But let's, let's just refresh our memories here. Hebrews chapter 9. Hebrews chapter 9. And here verse 11. But Christ came, but Christ came Hebrews 9 verse 11. But Christ came as high priest of the good things to come. With the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is not of this creation, not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own, but with his own blood he entered the most holy place, once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. For the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of the hypers sprinkled the unclean, sanct- sanctifies for the purifying of the flesh, how much more should the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offer himself without spot to God, Cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. And let's read verse 15 here too. And for this reason, he is the mediator of the new covenant by means of death for the redemption of the transgressions under the first covenant that those who are called may receive the promise of the eternal inheritance. We don't have any issues here. There is no any disagreements here. Everything is clear. All people go along and say this is absolutely fulfillment here. Christ being high priest, he fulfilled the day of atonement right here, at least the first part. Would anybody object? I don't think so, right? Let's go to Leviticus chapter 16 one more time. So what was the objective of this day? What was the objective of this day? We find the answer towards the end of chapter 16. Look at verse 32 to 34. Leviticus chapter 16, verse 32. And the priest who is anointed and consecrated to minister, and I like the language here, a priest in his father's place shall make atonement and put on the linen clothes, the holy garments, and then verse 33. Then he shall make atonement for the holy sanctuary, and he shall make atonement for the tabernacle of meeting and for the altar. And he shall make atonement for the priests and for all the people of the assembly. Everything is to be covered along the way. And verse 34, because this day is so important, this shall be an everlasting statute for you to make atonement for the children of Israel for all their sins once a year. And he did as the Lord commanded Moses. No mistake this time for the priesthood of God. Let's go to the beginning of at the beginning here at the chapter 16. And let's read verse 5. Then he shall take from the congregation of the children of Israel two kids of goats as a sin offering and one ram as a burnt offering. So we don't have any issues when we talk about ram. No one mentioned who is this ram. What is the purpose of this ram? Never argue about this thing. I never heard any arguments, people arguing who is the ram. When it's come to the two goats, that's where the contentions 
and all these debates come. Who are these two goats? So here we read here, at least as these two goats as a sin offering. So the two goats present as a one sin offering. Skip to verse 7. And he shall take the two goats and present them before the Lord at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. And Aaron shall cast lots for the two goats, one lot for the Lord and the other for the scapegoat or the other for the Azazel. That would be the, probably the most correct translations because no one knows the origin of this word, Azazel. So what is happening here? And all the speculations, everything just got loose. Some people say this goat represents this, and the other goat represents this. At least one goat, there is no problem. Everybody says the one goat is distorted, is Christ for sure. But the other goats, there are different speculations, different reasoning. Why this? Why not? Why is Satan? What is not Satan? Second goat is Christ. Maybe not is Christ. Maybe it's Satan. So what I want to do today, I just want to again present my beliefs, what I believe. And you know, if you guys are willing to talk about after sermon discussion, you're welcome. I'm not trying to argue. I'm not trying to convince anybody. It's just basically what I read from the scriptures. And I will tell you my dilemma as I read. Why I have a problem with some of the interpretations that people bring to me. And then you know what? Let's reason together and see if we can come to any conclusion. If we can, that's fine. Because, you know, during the sermon discussion, we heard wonderful two messages last week. We can be probably still talking. We can talk about the last message that we hear on the piece of trumpet. Let me give you the early Christians' interpretations of this two goats dilemma. I'm going to call them the two goats dilemma. Because we know that the early Jewish sources, there's no kind of a confusion. I think they, and how many of, how many of you ever read a little bit pieces of the book of Enoch? Anyone? Yeah, so if you go to the book of Enoch, like, you know, with Jude, there was a little quote from the book of Enoch there, which is still in our Bibles. If you go to the book of Enoch, there's no confusion who this goat is or what the mean Azazel means. So you can find it for yourself. I'm not, it's, not, it's not biblical text, but you can go and look at it. But let me, in the Jewish sources, most of the, interpreta- the interpretations that tend that the second goat, it's mostly aligned to be the evil one. Now, let me give a Christian interpretation. Isaiah 53, the early Christian interpretation. Isaiah 53. We know, the, we know what the Isaiah 53 is all about. We read a lot of this passage during the Passover, Passover day, Passover feast, and Feast of Unleavened Bread. Isaiah 53. So the first Christian, very easy for them, was to connect the Christ to the Passover lamb. The lamb that takes away the sin of the world. Very quickly. No problem there. As we did Isaiah 53. Read some verses over here. Verse 4. To five first. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteem him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgression. He was bruised for our inequities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. So there is the connections that people make it like, oh wow, it's not the second goat who was taking the sins away from from the world. So I guess the second goat also must represent Christ. Because who else could be doing such a wonderful work? Verse 10. The same chapter, Isaiah chapter 53. Verse 10 and 12. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He has put him to grief. When you make his soul an offering for sin. He shall see his seed. He shall prolong his days. And the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the labor of his soul and be satisfied. By his, by his knowledge, my righteous servant shall justify many. For he shall bear, for he shall bear their inequities. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the, with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong. Because he poured out his soul unto death, and he was numbered with the transgressors, and he bore the sins of many, and made the intercessions for the transgressions. So we see, who else? It's got to be Christ, because here is described, he was the one who bare our sins. He was the one who took our sins away. 
Second Corinthians chapter 5. Just give you one more, a lot more scriptures. I don't have time to go through all of this. Just give you just a few. Second Corinthians chapter 5. Second Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 21. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. The same thing. God making sin for us. The second goat. All the sin was piled upon his head. What else it could be? It's got to be the Christ. Who else in the Bible can do such a thing? Now, now I'm going to tell you about all my dilemma and all the questions that I have with this interpretation. Number one, Matthew chapter 25. You don't need to number them, but just, you know, the first one. Matthew chapter 25. Towards the end of the book of Matthew. Matthew 25. And here in verse 30. 30, 25 and verse 32. And all the nations will be gathered before him. And he will separate them from one another, as the shepherds divides his sheep from the goats. And he will set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on the left. There's a little bit of indication about the sheep and goats and the difference between them. That's the one point. Now the other ones, throughout the Bible, it's very clear from the beginning to the end, Christ's description as the Lamb of God. Through the book of Revelation, through the gospel, through the letters, even in the Old Testament, Christ as Lamb of God. How many scriptures do you find? How many scriptures in the Bible do you find the goat of God? How, can, how many can you find? The goat of God, of God that takes away the sins of the world. How many can you find in the scriptures? Through the Old Testament or through the New Testament. How many times any writer says, oh, this is the goat of God who takes away the sin of the world. See, if this second goat is Christ who takes away all our sins away into the wilderness, is there any scripture, is there any prophecy in the Bible who would prophesy that? That he'll take our sins into the wilderness place and he will be there separated from everybody, from his brethren for at least a year or forever, eternity. Is there anywhere in the Hebrew Bible, on the New Testament, they would actually state that this is such a fact. This is a prophecy that has been fulfilled. So this is my dilemma. Maybe there is. I can't find it. So help me out. I'm trying just to, as everybody else here, just trying to understand and make the best out of this holiday. Because I am very curious, and I know my knowledge grows each year about each of the holidays, whether it's the Passover, Days of Unleavened Bread, or the Day of Atonement. The stuff I learned about Atonement is so much more than what I knew last year. I just don't have time to present everything for you guys here, but hopefully I will be able to steer you up into a deeper study of the Scripture. Now, that I said, why is it impossible if, this second, if the second goal is Christ and all the sins are loaded on Him and He takes it away? Because if you study the Offertory, offertory, off, offertory system or the sacrificial system in the Old Testament. Let's just go there for a second. You can do your homework at home. You can read the book of Leviticus, especially the first five, six chapters. Leviticus chapter 4. I'll tell you soon what the problem is. Leviticus chapter 4, in my understanding. Leviticus chapter 4. In verse 4 here, what, what, the, what the high priest did on the Day of Atonement, here it says, in verse 4, he says, The high priest, he shall bring the bull to the door of the tabernacle of meeting before the Lord, laid his hand on the bull's head, not hands, a hand. He laid one hand on the animal, and with the other, he killed the animal. And as you read through all of all this thing, let's go to the verse 22. The, rule, the ruler in verse 20, it says, when a ruler, a ruler has sinned and done something 
unintentionally against any of the commandments of the Lord, his God, in anything which should not be done, and is guilty, verse 24, that he shall lay his hand on the head of the goat and kill it at the place where they kill the burnt offering before the Lord. As you study the sacrificial system, especially the trespass offering, the sin offering, there is not even a one single place here that it says that the sins of the of the one who was who was offering the goat transfer from one person to the another. If you find it, show me, but I can't find it. What is in the sacrificial system? The sins are transferred from the worshiper to the sacrificial animal. And I have a little bit here for the Adams Clarke commentary. What was the whole process? What was the whole understanding by putting a hand on the animal? So this is his commentary, so I'm just going to read it to you. So by the imposition of hand, the person bringing the victim acknowledged. Number one, he acknowledged that the sacrifice is his own. So something that was dear to him and cost him something. So the sacrifice is his own. Point two, that he offered it as atonement for his own sins. Point three, that he was worthy of death because he had sinned having forfeit his life by breaking the law. And the last one, that he entreat God to accept the life of the innocent animal in place of his own. And why is this so important to understand, brother? It's very important. Because as you study the, the Levitical priesthood, as you study the, all the offering there, even the sin offering, you can go on and on and on. There is no single indication in the scriptures that sin are transferred from one person to another, from the human being to the sacrificial animal. There is none. There is only one exception. And the one exception is only on one day. And this one exception is only on the day of atonement. Not any, not any other day. Not with any other offertory in the scripture. As a matter of fact, let's go even farther. It's the opposite. The sin offering, always throughout the scripture, the sin offering in the Old Testament, the sin offering always stays holy throughout the whole process, before, during, and after. Even the animal is killed, it is still holy. Even if it's born, it's still holy. Let me give you some scripture. Leviticus chapter 6 here. I don't have, you know, my, I don't have time to go through all these details through this study. You can study by your own, by, by yourself. Let's have a conversation. Leviticus chapter 6, 25. Speak to Aaron and to his son, saying, This is the law of the sin offering. In the place where the bird offering is killed, the sin offering shall be killed before the Lord. It is most holy to God. The sin offering is most holy. The priest who offers it for sin shall eat it. What he should do? He should just take it home and eat it there? Or should just walk outside the tabernacle of meeting? In a holy place it shall be eaten. In the court of the tabernacle of meeting. Verse 27. Everyone who touches its flesh must be holy. If the sinner is transferable from the sinner to the animal, at the same point, the animal becomes unholy. This is not scriptural. Anyone who touches his flesh must be holy. And when its blood is sprinkled of any garments, you shall wash that on, on which it was sprinkled in a holy place. It's not I'm going to take it home and throw it to my laundry room, on my wash machine, and just wash it with other clothes. No, you wash it at the holy place. You can't take it out. Because why? This is the most holy things to God. And I think I should stop it right here. I don't want to waste, you know, too much time. You can study by your own. So basically, three lessons. Sin offering is the most holy thing to God. The most holy thing. Sin offering was always allowed to be eaten only in the holy place and only by the priests. No one else. Whoever touched the thing, the flesh of the, this holy offering must be holy and clean. Ritually and spiritually. 
and even the garments were supposed to be washed in the holy place. Again, unblemished sacrifice that was dedicated to God. At the moment of dedication, become a holy thing to God. Can take it back. As we can see, as I told you before, the sacrificial animal was holy before, was holy during, and it was holy after the whole process of sacrifice. It is impossible for the sacrifice to be contaminated with the sins of the offerer. It's not in the scripture. If it is, please show me. Please show me what it is. Leviticus chapter 6 here, look at verse, verse 10 here. Leviticus 6 and verse 10. And the priest shall put on his linen garments and his linen treasure. He shall put on his body and take up the ashes of the burnt offering which the fire has consumed on the altar and shall put them beside the altar. Then he shall take off his garments, put on the garments and carry the ashes outside the camp to a what? Clean place. The ashes of all this offering, they were still holy to God. They couldn't be just disposed in any other place, in any other regular place, common place. The spirit should know what is holy, what is not holy, what is common, what is not common. Otherwise, God can put them to death. That's what they were designed for. That's why God you know, raised them up to teach the children what is common, what is not common. Now, Christ... He took our penalty and he died in our place. Let me tell you. Christ, when he walked on this earth, he was holy. When he was dying, he was holy. And he was dead, he was holy. No, any single sin entered on Christ when he was on the cross. It is impossible. That would violate the word of God. What he did for you and you, on me and for all of us, he took the penalty for your sins upon himself. He didn't take your sins. He just paid penalty for your sins. That's a huge difference. It's a huge difference when you try to put this, all of this together. So now we can probably see my dilemma when I go to Leviticus chapter 16. Where I'm going with all of this. Do you see my point? How is this important to me when you, know, when you try to tell me that the second goat is a Christ. I said, like, wait a minute. I have a hard time to comprehend it. Please help me. Because I would like to know. This is very important. There is no need to be division in a God's church. At all. Because this day is one of the greatest Sabbath of Sabbaths to God. Go to back to Leviticus chapter 16. Look at verse 8. Another problem that I have. Then Aaron shall cast lots for the two goats. One lot for the Lord and the other for the Azazel. Some people told me, pointed out to me that this two goats were presented as a one offering. If two goats were presented as a one offering, so why casting lots? What's the difference does it make? If both represent Christ, then what's the difference? Kill this one and send the other one away, or send the other one and kill this one? What's the difference? Which one we do it? If these two are part of the same offering, why God needs to choose one and let the other one go? And actually not just go. Banished to the wilderness. Why? Now, some other people would say this. Why? Why, Jen, Satan would play such a huge role in God's sacrificial system? How is it possible that God, that Satan could ever come so close to one of the holiest places on earth that was the tabernacle? How is that possible? Okay. Job. Book of Job, chapter 2. Book of Job, chapter 2. 
Verse 1. Everybody there? Yes. Yes, Job. I apologize for my pronunciation. Chapter 2, verse 1. My apologies one more time. Is everybody there? Verse 1. Chapter 2, verse 1. And there was a day when the sons of God came to present, present themselves before the Lord. And Satan came also among them to present himself before the Lord. How is that possible? How is that possible? If God is so holy, how can Satan be present with God and talk to him? If this thing happened in heaven, I don't see any issues why this golden tabernacle would not be able to come close to the sanctuary. I don't have any problem believing that. Now, Leviticus chapter 16, go back there. My another dilemma here, as I was trying to read and understand all the scriptures. Look at verse 20. Leviticus 16 and verse 20. And when he, the high priest, has made an end of atoning for the holy place, the tabernacle of meeting, and the altar... He shall bring the live goat. So, when he had made an atoning for the, all of this stuff, now he goes to the live goat. So, atoning, atoning took place already. Now he goes to the live goat. And Aaron shall lay both his hand, not his one hand, not just one hand, his hands, shall lay both his hands on the head of the live goat, confess over it, all the inequities of the children of Israel and all the transgressions concerning all their sins, putting them on the head of the goat, and shall send it away into the wilderness by the hand of a suitable man. The goat shall bear on itself all their inequities to an inhabited land, and he shall release the goat in the wilderness. Again, if you study the sacrificial system, you will never ever see something like that would happen here. Never. The sins were never transferred in the Bible from one place or from one person to another person. Never ever. What is happening here? What is happening here? There's only one place in the entire Hebrew Bible that actually says here that he shall bear all the sins of the children of Israel. Who is this goat? If Jesus Christ cannot be contaminated with the sins, who is the other goat? If these two goats made the same offering, why casting lots? I pick one. Doesn't matter. I pick one, and then I'll pick the other one. I will sacrifice this one. The other one let go. Why choose it? Why bother all the choosing? Why casting lots? And why God needs to make the important decision, who is who? Not men. Not high priest. God needs to make this call. Go to verse 15. Then he shall kill the goat of the sin offering. There is no confessing. No confessing over this goat. 
Absolutely, the text doesn't say it anything, that the high priest should do something. Then he shall kill the goat of the sin offering is for the people, bring its blood inside the well, do with that blood as he did with the blood of the bull, and sprinkle it on the mercy seat and before the mercy seat. So he shall make atonement for the holy place because of the cleanness of the children of Israel, and because all the transgressions for all the sins, and so he shall do for the tabernacle of meeting, which remains among them in the midst of their uncleanness. Again, no confession over this goat that actually was sacrificed of any sins whatsoever is an innocent victim that took yours and mine penalty for our sins. No question about it, who this goat is. No question about it. No judgment, no blame, no transferring of sin. Innocent victim dying for the sins of the people. Now, just go chapter over, Leviticus chapter 17. Another dilemma, as I tried to put all these puzzles together. Leviticus chapter 17. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron, to his sons, and to all the children of Israel, and say to them, This is the thing which the Lord has commanded, saying, Whatever man of the house of Israel who kills an ox or lamb or goat in a camp, or who kills it outside the camp, and does not bring it, to the door of the tabernacle of meeting, to offer an offering to the Lord before the tabernacle of the Lord. The guilt of bloodshed shall be imputed to that man. He, he has shed blood, and that man shall be cut off from among his people. Okay, skip down to verse 6. And the priest shall sprinkle the blood on the altar of the Lord at the door of the tabernacle of meeting, and burn the fat for a sweet aroma to their Lord. They shall no more offer the sacrifices to demons after whom they have played the harlot. This shall be a statues forever for them throughout your generations. If you have the electronic devices there, you can check what is demons, what is the word translated demons here. You can do your own stuff at home or you can click quickly, quickly do it now. You will see it here. What this word was translated demons, what is, what is the origin, where does it come from? You can do a little bit research of your own. Skip to verse 10. And whatever man of the house of Israel, or the strangers who dwell among you, who eats any blood, I will set my face against that person who eats blood, and will cut him off from among his people. Why? For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you upon the altar to make atonement for your souls. For it is the blood that makes atonement for the soul. Which goat made atonement for the children of Israel? Which goat shed the blood for the children of Israel? The first one or the second one? First one. Not the second one. Why is there confusion? Please explain it to me. Because my little hat is spinning every time we come across this holiday. Because... All these bombardments are going everywhere. People get confused. People get divided about, you know, all these things. But no one, no one wants to try explain this thing biblically. We all have opinion. We all have our speculations. Oh, if they would look lazier like that if this would this and this and this. What would people would say when we see this and this and this? We can speculate all we want. Doesn't matter. In the end, it just doesn't matter. It's just my speculations against your speculations. That's what it is. So now, you can, you can jog down Hebrew chapter 9 if you want to go there, but it's the same passage. Without, without blood, there's no atonement. Hebrew chapter 9, verse 22. So you can go on in your own time. It's impossible to atone for something if the blood is not shed. It's impossible. So who is the other goat? See, the way how I look at this, in this world, we have two choices. Not three, not four, not five, not six. We have two choices. We either serve God or we serve Satan. There's no third choice in the middle. There's either the right way or the wrong way. There's either light or darkness. There's nothing in the middle. We either serve God or we don't serve him. If we don't serve God, then we serve Satan, the devil. That's it. 
John chapter 8. I want to show you something here. John chapter 8. John chapter 8. And verse 44. Just breaking into the context quickly here. Look what Christ says. You are of your father the devil. And the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning. And does not stand in the truth. Because there is no truth in him. When he speaks. When he speaks a lie. He speaks from his own resources. For he is a liar and a father of it. How come that Jesus called Satan devil the murderer from the beginning? Where did he get it from? Why? Why he's a murderer? I know he's a liar. I know he's a deceiver. And all the other thing, how come he's a murderer? How is that possible? Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. Just one verse here. Ephesians chapter 6 verse 12. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. But against principalities. Against powers. Against the rulers of the darkness of this age. Against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. We're not just debating my mind to your mind. My flesh to your flesh. My body to your body. The word that is going on is spiritual. Every single day. Every single day. And somebody is standing on one side and somebody is standing on the other side. Whether you serve God, what's the other option? You say, oh, I'm neutral here. No, you're not. Either you're on God's side or you're on Satan's side. There's no way in the middle. There's no middle ground here. No middle ground at all. Second Corinthians chapter 4. Second Corinthians chapter 4. Paul is writing here to the Corinthians church. And again, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 3 and 4. But even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. It's veiled to those who are perishing. Why? Whose minds the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe, least the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine of them. Who is responsible for some people that they cannot see the light? Who is responsible for that? Satan, the devil again. There is no middle way. There is no middle ground. The same letter, 2 Corinthians chapter 11 now. Just move forward a few pages. If you have a paper Bible. And verse 13. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 13. For such as false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for Satan himself transformed himself into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministry also transformed themselves into ministry of righteousness, whose end will be according to their works. Who is doing all the confusion? Who is all doing all the, you know, nasty work that is happening right there? Who is responsible for all of this? Yes, we take the blame, absolutely. There's another being who's going to take the blame too. Now, I want to conclude this message today. I'm running out of time. That's why I'm rushing it a little bit at the end. But I want, to, I want to conclude my message with the Christ crucifixion. And you will see why. Matthew chapter 27. Matthew chapter 27. Matthew chapter 27, verse 15. I'm going to read this long story first, and then I'm going to make some comments. Now the feast of the governor was, a, was a cast, now, at, now at the feast, the governor was accustomed to release 
releasing to the multitude one prisoner whom they wished. And at that time, they had notorious prisoners called Barabbas. Therefore, when they had gathered together, Pilate said to them, Whom do you want me to release to you, Barabbas or Jesus, who is called Christ? For he knew that they had handed him over because of envy. While he was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife sent to him, saying, Have nothing to do with the just man, for I have suffered many things today in a dream because of him. But the chief priests and elders persuaded the multitude that they should ask for Barabbas and destroy Jesus. The government answered and said to them, which of, the, which, of, which of the two do you want me to release to you? They said, Barabbas. Pilate said to them, What then shall I do with Jesus, who is called Christ? They all said to him, Let him be crucified. Then the governor said, Why? What evil has he done? But they cried out all the more, saying, Let him be crucified. When Pilate saw that he could not prevail at all, but rather that a tumult was rising, he took water, washed his hands before the multitude, saying, I am innocent of the blood of this just person. You see to it. And all the people answered and said, His blood be on us and on our children. Both, both names were judged on that day. Both the men were condemned. Both names, as you study these two names, these two names were misnamed. Jesus was called Jesus or Jesus Bar Joseph or Jesus, son of Joseph, but he was not really son of Joseph. He was son of the Most High. And you can find it in Luke chapter 1, verse 32. But the full name of the other one was Jesus Bar Abbas, meaning Jesus, son of the higher father. So you see, they wanted to release the other one instead of Christ. We are incapable of making the right decision. We are incapable to choose who is the right son of God and who is not son of God. Only God can tell the difference. Who is true and righteous and who is false that's why I believe the lots were cast for the other goat only God can find out who was the true one who was the false one the priests were incapable of making their decisions on their own look at the word today there are only two choices God and Satan how many people can say, I am so smart, I am so intelligent, I am so good, that I know what is good for me? I can just go out there and I can make my own decisions and I can make my own choices. That's what we have. 4,800 different religions. Over 1,000 different Sabbath-keeping churches. Because we think we can make the right choice. Be capable. Let's finish my last scripture, John chapter 12. John chapter 12. John chapter 12, breaking into the context again, verse 30. Jesus answered and said, this voice did not come because of me, but for your sake. Now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. And I, if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. On this day that it's coming, on Wednesday, the Day of Atonement, that's where people are going to receive their full redemption. In order for the jubilee trumpet to sound, 
and everybody release from the Satan power, this thing needs to happen first. We have forgiveness for sin. That's our Passover. Elimination of sin, totally from the picture, this is the day of atonement. May God bless you all and prepare you for this great holy holiday festivals and hope to see you on Wednesday here. And again, I accept that I can be wrong. And please help me to understand if I did any of the mistakes in my presentations. I would like to know the truth. I don't, I don't want to be making a wrong choice. This is Thank you very much. From the Burlington Congregation of the Church of God International. We hope you are blessed by it. To find out more about CGI Burlington, visit our website at cgiburlington.org. Thank you.